Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I am J.A. Lovelock, a barrister, an author, but most importantly, a crime junkie. I love reading and I love crime, so what better way than to spend my time with crime writers and find out how they tick? and how they marinate together characters, motives, killer instincts, murder suspects, and their comeuppance. Joining me on Behind the Yellow Tape is Gail Williams, also known as the author G.B. Williams. Hello, Gail, and welcome to the program. Hi, Joanna. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. Now, we'll get into your books in a moment. But first, for the few people who do not know you as yet, tell us a little about yourself. Um, I'm, I'm what they would call Wenglish. I was born English, but I've been in Wales now for more than half my life. So I'm Wenglish. All right. <laughs> um, I've, I've written all... <laughs> I've written all my life. I got published first in 2017. Before, before we get on to that, um, Gail, how did you come to yeah. be in Wales? Um, well, I was going to go and do a, a bit of a year out and go around Europe, at least possibly the world. Um, and my sister moved to Wales and she was having a baby. So I just came over for that transition with her and her husband. And then I met this guy. So I kept the guy and kissed the travel goodbye. <laughs> so <laughs> my husband is obviously Welsh and uh, as are our children. Yeah. So, yeah, I stayed in Wales for him. Yes, good, good, good. Um, I also read that you are a bit of a cat slave. What, what's that about? Yeah, I, I, I am a cat owner and she is just the most demanding cat ever. You'll probably see me oh, turning and, and looking at my cat because... I'm sitting by two doors, and if she sees me here, she wants to go through both doors. I will ignore her while we're talking. <laughs> but yeah, she just she demands everything. She's got to have food when she wants. She's got to go in out when she wants. It's just, she, I you, you know, uh, cats were seen as uh, gods in Egypt, and I don't think they've ever forgotten it. Oh, I see. Oh gosh, that, I didn't know that actually. But yours is certainly acting it out, isn't she? Yes, definitely. She, she, everybody in the house has to serve her. She comes first. <laughs> Shall we talk about your hair? My hair, it's purple. Yes, has <laughs> always been purple. No, what it was is um, when, where I worked uh, when I was working nine to five. You weren't allowed to dye your hair anything other than natural colours because of seeing clients, etc. So um, when I got made redundant, sorry, what, what was your nine to five work? What did you do? I was uh, a database uh, administrator and uh, database designer, so it was quite dull. <laughs> quite different from what I do now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So when I lost my job during COVID, oh, I just yeah. thought, well, you know what? I can do what I want with my hair now, so I yeah. do. 
I, yeah, I, I know I know that feeling. I, I too was in some professions where you had to look the part and there's there's certain things. I mean, I wanted to also, color, you know, do my hair a different colour and I couldn't. But now that I'm not, now that I'm a free woman, I can do what I want. <laughs> it's great. Yes. It's very, liber- very liberating. It is, yes. Now, let's get down to business. How many crime books have you written? Um. Written, I've lost count of. Oh, Published oh. is five and the sixth, soon to come out. Oh. And and what are those? Um, it's the three books of the Locked trilogy. They were the first three out, which is Locked Up, Locked In and Locked Down. Mm-hmm. That was followed by The Chair, mm-hmm. which is a Welsh-based uh, crime. Mm-hmm. That was then followed by Breaking Free, which is the first of the two Elaine Blake uh, stories and the second play the game is going to be out in the next couple of weeks. Good. We'll get a bit more, um, we'll talk a bit more about the books in a moment but mm-hmm. what I want to know is when did you start to write crime and what made you choose crime as a genre? Well I've always written, even when I was little, little, I was always making up stories and writing things um, and when I was uh, uh, late teens and early 20s I was actually writing what I thought were romance stories. So I was sending them into Harlequin. Well, it was Mills and Boone back mm-hmm, then. Mm-hmm. And I've got some absolutely lovely refusals. Love your writing. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> However, there's too much plot and not enough romance. Ah, so at that ah. point, I thought, well, OK, mm-hmm. I'll come off of romance. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started writing crime. So I've been writing crime for a long time. Mm-hmm. I just It's only recently that I've got to the stage of publishing it which is why I can't tell you how many books I've written because I've forgotten most of them. And what, what do you use as an inspiration for your crime writing? Um, all manner of things, really, because there's so much stuff that goes on around me. Um, and if you pick up any newspaper, there's always manner of, all manner of crime. Um, so it's, it's quite ready to, you know, it's all just there. And sometimes you read things in newspapers and you just think, if I actually put that in a book... Mm-hmm. No one's going to believe it. Um, so that's where most of my ideas come from. With the Lot, which series, which was the first, Charlie Bell was just originally a 200-word character sketch. And the more I wrote about him, I thought, oh, I can make this into a short story or a few short stories. And then I thought, oh, no, there's a novel in this. And now I've written three about him. And I think there's still more of his story to tell. So it just comes from... The spark of the idea for the crime will come from normally newspapers, um, but it's the people and the characters that that then generates that really generates the whole of the book. Are there any particular crimes, um, we're talking about murders, I suppose, that has had an impact on you and maybe some, that's in some way you could develop that into a crime fiction novel? Oh, definitely. Um, I've actually used one in Locked In, which is the second of the Locked series. The The real crime there was one of the heists from um, Tunbridge in Kent, where I think it was something like £54 million were stolen. Um, and it wasn't the crime uh, itself so much as the fact that when they were caught, what had happened is they'd all used prosthetics to change their faces So if they were photographed, they couldn't be recognised because their faces didn't look like them anymore. And it was um, a makeup artist that was involved. So I've used that idea in Locked Up, which is why you don't recognise the people that you should recognise in the crime. Mm, 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 
Mm-hmm. Now, um, you mentioned the Locked Trilogy, The Chair and Breaking Free. And I've read somewhere that your books are described as complex and fast-paced. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Um, one of my real heroes when it comes to writing is Simon Koenig. And if you ever read his books, he doesn't, they're complete page turners because he doesn't take his foot off the accelerator from page one. And that's what I try to do. I try to give re- um, give the reader a reason to keep turning the page. So I write in quite a tight fashion. I don't, don't spend an awful lot of time on description. Um, and one of the other things that I really like is if you ever read Elmore Leonard, he's got great dialogue. So I try to keep good dialogue going. So that's they're, they're they're all as sparingly written as I can, so you get as much information as possible without waffle. I hate waffle in books, mm-hmm. um, so that's why they're they're compact. Um, and I think they are quite fast fast paced for exactly the same reason. I just keep things trying to move on, trying to engage the reader and keep them reading. Now, you were shortlisted for the 2014 CWA Marjorie Allington Short Story Competition with The Last Shakes. Yeah, The Last Shakes. Was that your first foray? Was that your first um, success? It it was my first success, yeah. I mean, uh, Martin Edwards won that year, but he is just the master of short stories, of course. I've interviewed Martin. (laughs) Yeah, he's a lo- lovely bloke, he good, is, right, yes. great writer. Yeah. And the, as I say, he's the absolute master of short stories. So mm. it's not at all surprising that he beat me that year. <laughs> but yeah. that was the first recognised piece of work that I did. I'd had fan fiction stuff done in small magazines, never got paid for kind of thing. But that was the first recognised. Obviously, there's no money in that, just being long-listed, shortlisted. But it was really good to be up there with other people who you know are talented, quality writers. And it did make me feel good, though. It was very strange when I got the an email to tell me that I'd been shortlisted because I thought, I don't remember what story I'd sent them. And so I had to actually go back through all of my emails and find out what I'd sent them. And I thought, oh, yeah, I liked that one. And it was written specifically for um, the competition as well. So, yes, that was my first recognised piece of work. And presumably it spurred you on to do more. Oh, definitely. It's actually now in, I, I've, aside from the novels, I have actually self-published a collection of short stories. And that is, I think, the first of the short stories in the book. Yeah, I, it just keeps, keeps you going. Yeah. All right, let's, let's go a bit deeper. Let's talk about um, the trilogies and the other books that you have written. Let's, let's talk a bit more about that. The trilogies okay. and the chair and breaking free. Let's tell us more about that. Well, the trilogies, as I say, they, um, the lot trilogy came out of a, it was an exercise for a writing, a short story writing course I was on. And it was due to a hundred words of a character sketch. And that was Charlie Bell. Cause I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if you had an ex copper who was guilty in prison? And that's where we start with Charlie Bell in, mm. in Locked In, mm. Locked Up. Mm. So I started that, and just the more I wrote about him, the more I knew he was a character that, that had to be written, that he had a story and I wanted to tell it. So that's how he came about. So the first book is all about a murder in prison, which is quite oh. unusual in itself. I oh. think there have been a couple now. Yeah. Oh. So when, when, when was that written? When did you write that? That was written probably 2015 because it was published in 2017. Okay. 
Um, after that, locked up is after he's got out of jail, um, but he can't get his life back on track because obviously all he wanted ever to be was a police officer. So how, how did he get into jail in the first place? Um, he could, There was a, a crime lord in the area. They could not stop this man legally. Um, and so they were trying to get – he had kidnapped a small child. So Charlie Bell actually went in, got that child out. Mm. But he was um, he was seen on the way out, and he basically shot better than the guy who he was facing, and he killed oh. the, the crime boss. Oh, so he couldn't couldn't kill him, couldn't stop him by legal means. So he killed him yeah. by illegal means, mm. Mm. Um, which is never to be advised no. for any police officer. <laughs> no, or indeed any non-police officer yeah. listening. Yeah. But that was the only that was the only way he could stop him in the end. That mm. they'd got to a point where. He was so corrupt, mm. but so protected. There was nothing the police could do anymore. So Charlie took the law into his own hands. So to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that is, that's what the lot is. It starts in a prison. Mm. Second one is in a bank robbery that goes wrong. And then everything just goes to hell in book three. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Okay. And the chair? The chair is, is quite different. Um, the chair is uh, amateur detectives. So... What happens there, and this came out of a real-life story as well, um, it's about a hacker. Now, one of the stories that I've read in the newspaper was a large institute, and I can't remember what the company was, and I probably wouldn't say even if I could remember. They were hacked because what they'd done is they had a lovely big fishing uh, fish pond, um, or tank rather, fish tank in their foyer. And that fish tank was controlled by an app on a phone and a hacker got into that phone got into that app and used that as a backdoor into the full um computing power of that particular company mm. so that's what sparked the idea that's what the hacker does but the hacker picks up some coded and encrypted files he doesn't know what they are but he thinks if they're that buried and they're that encrypted they must be important and they are important enough for the person who owned them to send goons out after him trying to get him and trying to get the um, the images back. Now, that all happens and takes place in London. At the same time, there is a vet and an ex-army officer in Wales, in Cadaridris, which is one of the mountains just outside of um, Snowdon in North Wales. And they're just trying to get on with their lives. The hacker goes somewhere that he can't get internet, which he thinks is this this location, because the vet also runs a B&B. He goes up there, crashes his car, and then, of course, the vet and the army officer, ex-army officer, Cobb, get involved, and they take care of him. They realise that something's going on that's not right. The goons from London turn up into what they think is going to be an easy call, because it's only a load of yokels. Only they find out that how village life can really close ranks, and it is not the world that they are used to. Um, and as the blurb actually says, the mountain is no place to hide. And mm. it all, the, the, the final conflict takes place on the mountain because the mountain is important in that particular book. Yeah. But that's my first real Welsh mm. book. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, are your books set in Wales? Are they all set in Wales or elsewhere? Well, I've never actually stated where the locked books are set. So you can... You can it, you can work it out by the time you get to book three, but book, book one, you can imagine being absolutely anywhere. So I've never stated where they are. I do know. 
Um, and then the chair is set between London and Wales, which are, again, areas that I know really, really well because I grew up in Kent and, and so I know London. Um, and then with Breaking Free, she's like me. She is from Kent, but she lives in Cardiff, which I don't, but she does live in Cardiff. Um, and then she goes travelling across Europe, basically. Is it what you wanted to do, was it? It was part of what I wanted to do, but <laughs> yeah. obviously not for the same reasons because there was no crime involved in what I was doing. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, she's um, she's an older uh, protagonist. She, I think she's 42 in the book. And uh, she's never done anything, never gone anywhere, but she suddenly has this spur on to, to leave home because her husband is reported as dead. She finds out he's a spy, which after 25 years she did not know. She finds out everybody in her life has been lying to her. And she's got this um, cipher and she just works it out. So she goes off on this. Uh, it, it's not really an adventure. It is a thriller. So she is trying to do stuff. But I don't want to give away what it mm, is. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she yeah. goes off into to, to Europe and solves one problem. And then the second book is what happens after that to solve the whole of the conundrum. Mm, so, mm, mm, but, but yeah, I I got a new series that I'm in development, which is based in Merthyr Tydfil here in, in Wales. Oh, so. that'd be lovely. Yeah, looking forward to that. Is it necessary for a writer, you think, to like the characters they've created? Yes, I do actually think there is, um, not all of them, um, but you have to spend an awful lot of time with your protagonist. If you don't like your protagonist, it's not going to work. And similarly, you actually have to like your antagonist, your bad guy. Because, again, you're going to be spending a lot of time with this person, male or female, in your head. If you don't like them, it's not going to be enjoyable. And if you don't enjoy it, a reader's not going to enjoy it. Um, there are characters, normally side characters, that I really don't like that I put in things. Because there are humans like that. that you, no one's going to be able to get on with everybody. So, yes, the, you have to like your your protagonist. But even I've written books where clearly the author has liked their protagonist. doesn't mean I, as the reader, have liked their mm. protagonist. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, th I think if you don't, you, you just can't spend that much time with them in your head. And who would you say is your favourite crime writer? Probably Simon Koenig. I love his work. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but there, there's just so many good um, crime writers out there. I mean, at the moment, I'm just reading loads and loads of uh, James Oswald, uh, who's the, the, um, the Tony McLean. Um, yeah, so uh, I think Simon Koenig is the one I always turn to because there's one of his, um, The Business of Dying, which if I need a lift, it's <laughs> that's the one that I tend to go to. And would you say they've been influenced on your own writing? Yes, I think that they, they do, as again, particularly Simon Kerr, because of that fast-paced complexity that he puts into things. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I do. But again, like all writers, I'm a huge reader. Um, I've got all types of crime genres out there. I've, you know, I've got shelves full of Mark Billingham, Ian Rankin, um, Lots and lots of authors to the extent that um, my husband tells me we're not putting up any more shelves for my books. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I just read read an awful lot. Yeah, yeah. And what about challenges? What about the challenge of being a crime writer and, and also 
successes of being a crime writer. Can, can we talk a bit about that? Um, I think there's the, the real challenge is making sure that what you put on the page is believable. Um, so to, you know, making sure that you've got enough police procedure. And, and there, there's lots of helpful people out there who will tell you about police procedure. But it's getting enough of that on the page without getting bogged down, because if we wrote what police actually do day in, day out, it wouldn't be readable. Uh, and I think, to be fair, most advisors realise that. So that's a real challenge is getting that right. But also you can't you can't write somebody like Sherlock Holmes unless you are like Sherlock Holmes. I couldn't write this megalomaniac, um, wonderful, overly intelligent uh, protagonist because I don't think that way. You know, mm. so I've got to mm. keep my protagonist real because I've got to understand that I can't do a, a ma- massive crime that's overpowering everything because I'm not I'm not the world dominating type. My mm, brain doesn't mm, work that mm, way. Mm. So it is a challenge to find the right level for, for your protagonist, for your writing and for your own um, way of thinking. So that's one of the challenges. The successes actually come in small lots. It is things like being recognised in, in a, a short story competition. It's things like seeing people actually review your books. It's an amazing boost if you get a five-star review on one of your books. And, you know, equally it can be a real downer if you get a one-star. Mm, mm. But you have to, you know, as I say, no one's ever going to love everything you do. Um, you're never going to uh, please everybody. So there's lots of, of successes. Being asked to attend a, a festival um, or, in my case, actually, organize a festival at the moment we're going to talk a bit more about that in a second <laughs> yeah, it's going to say yeah. more about that yeah yeah i think i think the successes come and it's not to do with the royalties it is to do with making sure and knowing that your readers actually enjoy your work that's the real measure of success if you've got readers who love your work you've made it but what about you as the author yourself enjoying the process i mean must there always be financial or other rewards at the end of it? No, I, I would write regardless. And I think a lot of writers do. And it, it's a really difficult thing because if you're a writer, you write. You have to. If I don't write for a couple of three days, I might get real antsy and my husband just like, have a notebook and a pen, just go and write something. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I write just for the pleasure of writing. And I do get a lot of pleasure out of knowing that I've created these individuals They've gone on this journey and they're not necessarily the same people they were when they started out and they should be better people. Um, so they're they're happier because, believe it or not, some people say I don't write happy endings. I actually do write happy endings. It's just not necessarily my happy. It's not necessarily your oh. <laughs> happy. Um, so, yeah, I there is definitely an intrinsic joy to writing and it's got nothing to do with money. Good, good, good. As well as being a crime writer and you sort of mentioned this. Uh, am I right in saying that you are the face of a particular crime writing festival in Wales? I am. We are, I'm part of the Will Crime Cymru Festival. I'm the secretary for it. It's uh, Alice Hawkins is our chairwoman. We're both members of uh, the Welsh crime writing collective Crime Cymru. So what we decided to do was put on festivals. We've done two this year and last year were um, online festivals. We've had some good names um, uh, have been attending, Anne Cleves, Mark Billingham, all sorts. Um, 
Claire McIntosh, Mary Hannah. I'm going to name a few. I'm, I'm bound to miss out people, and I do apologise for that. But we are this year organising for April 21st, 23rd in 2023. In Aberystwyth, we have a live in-person festival that we are promoting and organising at the moment. And we're trying to get sides in there for readers and some items in there for writers. So if you're a Welsh writer or a writer who lives in Wales, we will have things there for publishers, agents, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. and how to do writing workshops um, as much as we can to support writers and readers. But the festival is open to all. Oh, yeah, definitely open to all, everybody. Um, it will be in, as I say, it's in, in, in Aberystwyth, which you may know is a, a town on the edge of, of uh, Cardigan Bay in Wales. Uh, the tickets will go up probably beginning of next year. Good. So anybody can buy a ticket. Good, yeah, because I did attend a virtual one that you had this year and I am oh, hoping to come to Wales, to Upper Street. To, oh, um, yes, oh, yeah, very much, very much. In fact, um, it will mean I will have to cancel something else. So I am, uh, yeah, I know, because I ramble and there's a rambling weekend, <laughs> that weekend. And I thought, oh, no. Um, so, um, but I, it, it has been my intention to, to come to Wales anyway. So, well, there um, are some beautiful places in Carmarthen to go for nice natural walks and rambles <laughs> over there, that way. You'll, you will not be sorry if you walk the uh, Ceredigion area. Oh, lovely, lovely. Listen, one final question on this. You're walking down the road and you see a dead body. What do you do? Well, not touch it would be the first thing. It was definitely dead. Obviously, I would call the police and try and keep people away from it. But if they're obviously dead, you know, you know, throat slit, no blood pumping still, then that's all you can do. If you're not sure, then again, you have to check just because if there is a spark of life, you have to do everything you can to, to keep that spark of life alive. So if I was uncertain if they were dead, I would go over and I would see if there was anything I could do. And I would also be phoning the medical services because you know, I have some basic first aid. What I could do to keep somebody alive, I don't know. But if they were definitely dead, the only thing you can do is keep people away, try and preserve as much of the scene as you can and let the police do their job. Lovely. Thank you. Gail, GB Williams, thank you very much for your time on Behind the Yellow Tape. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I am J.A. Lovelock. Join us next time as we go behind the yellow tape. Till then... Catch up with more episodes at btytpodcast.com. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts.